three. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE master technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Good podcastville. Happy generic time of day to you. Thank you for joining us here from beautiful Bainbridge Island. I want to give a shout out to Sound Reaper Graphics for their support of the show. Also, Tideland Magazine, thank you for your support of the show. And remember, Blue Canary has locations in both Bremerton and Bainbridge Island. If you have some needs for your auto, hit them up. Today, I'm welcoming Rick Coos, running for Kitsap County Sheriff. How you doing, Rick? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for the invitation out here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I think Bainbridge Islanders have only had a small portion of what you have to offer and, and seen you. So it's good that you're coming out here. It's kind of a bluish liberal area that uh, has strong voting um, history. And it's good to have candidates from all over talking about what they have to offer. First of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. What made you decide that you wanted to run for sheriff? So back when I was in high school, I was uh, really big into the police cadet program, which is where you learn all about the different things, the different responsibilities of the officers. And when I was doing that, I just gained my passion just because we were always out in the community and meeting different people. And I got to hear the officers respond to the different people's questions and concerns. And I knew that was something that I really wanted to just to, to move forward with. So you fast forward a little bit. I, I started going to college for criminal justice. And then um, the rest is kind of like a love story. I met my future wife at the time in a criminal justice class. And we decided to uh, join the Navy. And so... With criminal justice still on my heart and my soul and my mind, I, I'm like, I need to get there eventually. But at that point, I kind of took a small detour in the Navy, ended up doing 24 years, have a experience with the criminal justice system in the Navy, doing some legal stuff, as well as anti-terrorism, force protection, and security force training. So prior to getting out, I was a weapons officer, then I was a training director, and I made sure I got my master's degree in criminal justice and it just seemed like, you know, when it's time to transition to be a civilian, um, what's the next step? And just seeing that the crime rates are soaring everywhere in Kitsap County, and as well in the nation. But Kitsap County is unique in the fact that 
there's a lot of blame being put on legislators. And I think a lot of those solutions could be done directly uh, at the county level. So that's why I'm running is to provide solutions to the issues that we're facing at the local level while continuing to push on legislators to make, the, you know, get the bigger picture. What's one of the solutions that you have in mind right off the bat that if you were to take office that you would like to implement? So one of the things is uh, we had the the state versus Blake decision, which made uh, simple possession a misdemeanor, vice a uh, felony. And the way it works hold, is... Hold on. Simple possession of what? Of We're talking drugs. So um, like fentanyl would be the example that I would show you. So fentanyl is a uh, class two substance or schedule two uh, drug, narcotic. And it's something that's running rampant in uh, Kitsap County as well as in the nation because of how easy and how cheap it is to get. It's $5 a pill, and it's very highly addictive and very deadly. And so one of the things uh, with that, it became we're going to divert the person twice and then on the third one arrest them um, for that misdemeanor. However, Kitsap County is one of the counties that is just saying, no, we'll wait till the law changes next year. And so the law may or may not change. And one of the things that uh, needs to happen is to actually track what the legislators want to do. There's a reason why they wanted to make it uh, a misdemeanor um, with giving people chances to get help with the addictions and such. But it turns out they just now just let them go and don't bother to really provide any assistance. And so what I want to do is what uh, cities like Federal Way and Des Moines are doing is they're creating their own database to track the number of diversions uh, attempts. Because right now there's no state database for cross-jurisdiction. So most counties are like, just put their hands up in the air and say, well, it's it's out of our control. We'll wait for things to change. But Federal Way and Des Moines, they took the lead on this and were like, we're going to create our own database. So one of the first things um, that I would go after is getting that where we're actually helping the people by diverting them. And if they don't end up getting the help, well, maybe the criminal justice system is the best place for that. So with incarceration and there's uh, resources in the Correctional Institute that could also provide assistance. So a lot of parents said, I wish my my kid got arrested because of this, because it could have saved their lives when uh, I've been encountering all the people that have losses uh, from fentanyl deaths. So kind of like a three strikes um, type law, but when they enter the prison system, they're immediately directed to a program as no, opposed no. to just put in a cage? No, no. So the, the first two, they're not even going into the criminal justice system. Right. Catch they're, and release, basically. They're basically, okay, I'm – so there's a program called HEART here in Kitsap, and Jared uh, is kind of running that. And so what it is, he has resources there in the community that, okay, for drug addictions, you go here. So if you ended up getting um, caught with this substance – and then we use the resources, they would get the assistance they need. And in the for the third one, if they get arrested, it's not like you're being you're you're still doing that, but there's programs inside the jail that would help with that as yeah. well. I just worry that there's not an automatic default into that. Um I see catch and release in Seattle has been very common for a long time. You know, Como has done a lot of Como TV has done a lot of pieces on interviewing people that have been arrested 50 plus times right and never went through the processing system they basically went into the back of a vehicle was ticketed does not have the means to pay that ticket and released and allowed to go over and over and over with the same type of crime without without punishment or help 
Uh, how do we get a situation where we can really make a difference? Because you look at stores now, it's people are going in as large groups, just taking as much as they want out and walking out. And there's a couple of casualties and they get arrested. But the majority is still a loss for those stores. And I've seen some of my favorite restaurants and boutiques in Seattle because I lived in Belltown for 15 years and I love Seattle, but it's not the city that I remember growing up and participating in. How do we get past the days of COVID, CHOP and CHAZ and start legislating laws that really benefit these crimes and these people that are doing it? Because I really see little imprisonment, little help of the people that are on in these situations, whether it be trafficking, theft, fentanyl, et cetera, et cetera. What's the tipping point that really changes that now? I think that so for all those crimes that you mentioned, there there needs to be accountability. So people right now, like you mentioned, they're they're going into stores and groups and just stealing stuff and they're just told to let them go, let them walk away. Right. Well, it's still a crime. So theft three, less than $750, is a crime, and the criminals are not being held accountable, whether this be because of the uh, prosecutor's policies on misdemeanors or just the, the leadership style that's currently in the office. What needs to happen is when someone, when a store calls, hey, this person just walked out with this stuff, deputies need to show up and, and then respond. And yeah. respond. So... I'm getting to I with the community I'm getting a lot of reports that it takes if deputies do show up it's about 45 minutes and that those those response times are not are not satisfactory and one of the things is of course there's a lot no one wants to really be in law enforcement right now because of all the negative stigmatism so we need to get more officers so we can well, have I think also they've taken away the backup I don't want to be an individual police officer going into a crime situation without without backup I'm putting my life at risk. I see these community community stores, the mom and pops, places like Sneaker City on Second and Pike, where I've got my shoes for 40 years, you know, out of business now because nobody wants to walk past the threshold of the open door or that street that that business is on, and then these businesses start getting shuttered. Seattle's one example, but Kitsap County is suffering as much, if not more of the shuttering, the vacancies, and the lack of people having the American dream of doing business because of these situations where the response from police officers is light, it's late, there's not a program, there's a catch and release type system. I mean, it, it seems like that takes a huge wave to change that. Right. Yeah. How do we do it? it, it well, it's, you got to have changing leadership. Uh, so one of the guys that owns one of or manages one of the RV stores, they had their RV stolen from their parking lot. And uh, the guy called 911, reported, hey, it was stolen. Obviously, police can't pursue if they don't pull over and then they just have to let it go based on the laws that were passed. However, the guy had uh, the GPS coordinates based on. You know, for their for their company, all those RVs, they know where they are when they're stolen. And so he called and said, I know the ex when it finally got to its stop, he called back and was like, I know exactly where the vehicle is. Can you send someone over there? And he was told no. And like 
these things kind of like just boggle my mind on how when there's like crime that occurs and the simple answer is just go there and hold that person accountable and get the merchandise back for the victim. But it's, it's the simple things aren't happening. And I know, so there's no blame on legislation for some of these things with, with those like 12 to 13 bills that passed in 2020, 2021. Sure. It's the police pursue and some tactics, force use of force tactics, but the generally speaking, it didn't touch most crime, which we need to follow through as a law law enforcement community. And, actually target this and Bainbridge Island is doing a great job. They're, they're like the only one that I've seen on social media. That's with someone's uh, going into some one of the garage residents garage. They're putting those surveillance videos right on their Facebook page saying, Hey, look for this guy. He's, he's known he's doing this. That's not happening in Kitsap County outside of Bainbridge Island. So that mm-hmm. I want to bring Bainbridge doing so many great things with a, uh, Chief Clark running the uh, police department, just their their communication, being out in the community. I did a ride along with Bainbridge Island PD, and when we were driving around, we'd roll down the windows, talk to the residents, and it, it was a true sense of community. Now, the rest of Kitsap County is at a larger scale, but those things still need to be happening. Mm-hmm. It starts with one person in one neighborhood. Right. You know, the Crime Watch – McGruff or whatever that was, that was a program of just heightened awareness in your own neighborhood. And we can all take a turn. You know, I feel like sometimes I'm B.I. Batman. I'm the detective that sees things. I walk a lot on this island um, and I see things. I see encampments. I see drug use. I see see people that don't belong here. They're just, there's an odd aura. You know, this is not my community member, you know. Right. Let me check it out a little bit. I don't have to be aggressive in any fashion, but I can keep my eyes open. I can spend a couple extra minutes monitoring that person. And I think Bainbridge does a pretty good job of that. I do see on social media, like, hey, my mail got stolen today. And then another neighbor will reply, I got my mail stolen. Okay, somebody will be with heightened awareness and say, okay, I'm looking for a green truck or a white van or whatever. And then that word starts to spread. We're kind of policing ourselves. We also have a police department that's very approachable, and you know the officers' names. Right. And you know the people that are struggling, too. So we have a great resource in the Helpline House, um, and then the food bank and stuff like that, that we we can give services to, to these people. But on a larger scale, I don't know how that plans out. So so for a large scale for me, one of my things that I've been pushing with this campaign is shifting from reactive policing to proactive policing. And with that, uh, it's the type that I would be doing is stratified policing. So what that does is it uses it's person-based, place-based, problem-solving, and it uses community policing to combine all those things. So the community has a, a lot higher level involvement because right now, as you can see, Every, the community is kind of like taking, like you mentioned, taking everything in their own hands, not as far as vigilanteism goes, as far as like what we're talking about now, but it's just like reporting, networking with other residents and being like, okay, this is what we need to do. And then when they have a solution, they'll follow up with the police and be like, okay, this is what we have. Uh, this is what's going on. And they work. So being proactive about that is like now the deputies know where these are, where they are, where, what type of person is and they can use some problem solving approaches like okay how can we deter this in the future 
whether that be adding um, crime prevention through environmental design tools such as surveillances or advanced lighting, things that will deter criminals from doing these uh, repeat crimes because 20% of the people commit 80% of the crime. And so if you narrow it down on these 20% of the people, you can reduce crime effectively uh, rather fast. Yeah, that lighting really worked. I used to work at Garfield High School, and there was a lot of car prowling and theft up there and crack sales and you know shootings and stuff like that. And working in that environment, I think the one thing that really helped us was extending more lights around the area, you know, so it it's safer because it's illuminated. Right. There's no place to hide in the dark. And being on an island here and being very wooded, there's plenty of places for criminals to hide. Um, there's been Dateline. We have a grand forest of 400-some acres, you know, and there, there was somebody that was actively living in that forest and had a plethora of stolen goods for a long time. That made it on Dateline. There is crime here. There's been a few murders. There's a lot of mail theft, like I alluded to. And now I think something that you're railing on is uh, Cadillac converters. Right. Those are starting to get stolen here on the island as well. And I think that's more of a city problem than the island, but it, we're not immune to it. Right. And one of the things for the catalytic converters that I've been trying to push is get a partnership with her, whether it be like a dealership or some kind of like repair place where the catalytic converters are painted with high visibility or the they're serialized with the VIN number on the catalytic converter and then painted in high temp orange. So that would be a deterrent that's been effective across the nation. So if that I could find, good. if I could find, yeah, if I could definitely find somebody to partner with, I would really push that to try to make it, uh, awareness on some of these crime prevention methods that need to be implemented. If I can bring a real life thing that happened to me, my wife's um, bicycle got stolen and there was a social page that was uh, lost, found or stolen. And a police officer was part of that page. And he he remembers um, that post and then sees that bike. So there was a visual of a picture and then he saw the bike later and then looked up our residence and returned the bike. Yeah, and thank you, John. We've been friends ever since. Um, that type of communal help, you know, just spreading information. And if we had some type of hub that says we're looking for X, Y, Z, this, that, and the third, perhaps that's a program that we can help self-police as a community as well. Yeah, you're exactly right. So there's several different Facebook groups that do that, but there's no like one consolidated place. And right, and we've and not everybody lives on Facebook. Right. Yeah. So there, there's the assumption that everybody does there. So, but but they don't. Um, but one of the things that I've been doing is I've been walking through the homeless encampments uh, in Kitsap County over the last. I've been doing it more often just because I've been seeing a lot more things, and I'm trying to remain in tune. But they're there's basically a bicycle chop shop in the one over by Clear Creek Trail in Silverdale. There's like 20 bikes. Some of these look like they're very expensive. Well, homeboy's got that sign. I buy bikes right on the side of the road just past <laughs> that park, right? Yeah. And so uh, you, you look at that and you see all these things. And I've been trying to pay attention to different posts on like, hey, this bike was stolen to try to like connect it with the owner. But Craigslist too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody in need of a Cadillac converter, here you go. Well, that's like going to a pawn shop, right? Right, yeah. It's got to be traceable. Um, 
What type of relationships would you instill in the community if you were sheriff? So the the big thing is I would be very visible in the community. I don't want to sit behind a desk and just, you know, answer emails and uh, talk to different staff members. I want to be out in the community. So what I want to do is if there's a community event, I want to be there. If there's a, a public like a group's getting together, like a neighborhood watch is starting up or they're having a monthly meeting. I want to be invited to uh, to go out to it. The other thing is one of the local radio stations was talking how previously the sheriff came on on a certain frequency just to keep the community updated on, hey, this is what we're, what we're talking about. And if anybody had any questions, they could call in or chat in. It's something like that. I just like a direct line of communication to the person they elect. I feel like that is the role of the sheriff, and the sheriff can then use his managerial and administrative abilities, because um, he's not going to have all the answers, to use his staff that he appoints, his four appointed officers, to to get that answer for him so he's like the liaison between the community and law enforcement. Yeah, if I do this podcast for a similar reason. I can look at your voters pamphlet, and it has your predetermine whatever you've written. I want to do X, Y, Z. I bring right. ABC. But without further context and conversation, we don't get to re- know the real Rick, right? So as a community support group, I hope this podcast introduces people to other people and that the bystander is a situation where Podcastville out here can drop in on a conversation that they may not be privy to. And maybe they get more depth and interest and understanding of the people that they're talking about on a surface level, socially and through voters pamphlets and stuff like that. So I hope that you can use this opportunity to introduce yourself to the community of Kitsap County. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Over the last two months, we've been going door to door, introducing myself to the community. And I found that a lot of them are amazed about like the personal interaction. And now that they know me and they talked to me, talked with me, they, they understand and have a better chance of, you know, connection with community members. Um, what do you think of the party system right now? Would you be in favor of a three, three party system, not just democratic and Republican, but maybe a progressive or an independent, um, party? So ultimately, I wish there were no parties, but that's never going to happen. But yeah, definitely, the more parties, the more different options. Because right now, it's kind of like a cookie cutter where people, since I'm a Republican, people are going to assume certain things about me, and I don't want those things associated with me. And so, like for myself, I I originally tried to run as sheriff as a independent. So the little background on that is I was active duty, like six months ago. And so in 2019, I wrote a letter to the secretary of the Navy and uh, through the CNO, the chief of Naval operations and all the other admirals. And I said, I request to run for sheriff while on active duty. And so the assumption, part of that assumption was that it was like a nonpartisan race, but the Kitsap County Sheriff is a partisan race, unlike Pierce County. Why is that? So it's based on the home charter. So Kitsap County is basically using the constitutional creation of the county vice where Pierce County and some of the other counties in our state have elected to do a home charter. So they have more control of how the, the structure is of the county. So it would take, uh, I can't remember the exact number of votes of how it would uh, occur, but some direction that Kitsap County may choose to go in the future. 
but using that uh that system i like i'd rather be an independent running against but in reality campaigning you either have to be a democrat or republican in order to win pretty much any election so yeah that's that's very true so let's get into this a little bit what made you choose the republican party then over the democratic party being you know not a partisan independent so growing up i have my family has history in politics my grandfather was a county commissioner and my dad was a mayor they were both democrats when i joined the military i i originally was a democrat like i voted uh in michigan with in the democrat primaries and uh and while i was uh in the navy i kind of like s- slowly switched sides based on just some we took an oath to uh support and defend the constitution and some of the things that i've seen over the time it just it aligned myself more with republican viewpoints and just uh you know defending the constitution there's certain things that one party may agree with and the other one may not and all those things kind of just lined up with the core values i have with uh myself and my morals to to choose that route but but i'm not like a blanket uh republican i have views that are on the left uh even more so than my opponent and so i kind of want to be just taken at face value on who i am vice that r that's next to my name okay let's dispel some of these myths that i've seen um casually researching you or or following your campaign um let's start with the constitution real quick why do we feel like we're always having to defend it defend the constitution isn't it written into law that this is our constitution and we all accept that where is the attacks on the constitution that we're constantly trying to defend so the state legislators will often pass laws that are unconstitutional and eventually it gets up to the supreme court um and then the supreme court overturns it and says it's that law was unconstitutional. An example, there, there of course this year there's been a lot of laws that uh go to the Supreme Court and they are ruled unconstitutional. Well, you can go to the, the example of the second amendment. So the do people have the right to bear arms and that shall that be infringed? So talking about that uh, amendment of the constitution, there are several states or cities that have passed certain things that are limiting the right of citizens to defend themselves and that can be against whatever you can think Well of. when we say limiting it is that just the proposed magazine laws on semi-automatic weapons So is it, it more than that So with the federal government uh and the state governments if they try to limit like what a consumer can own for that and I don't want to get too much into like the the weeds on this but just the citizens should have right to defend themselves against even if it's our own government and I'm not saying like uh as far as combating that I'm just saying like if we're in the times where we were part of like the revolutionary war where we're trying to establish our freedoms we want to be able to have equal opposition to that and by taking that away from the citizens you're limiting that and you're becoming an overreaching government and so we want control back to the individuals not the government it was the way this country was founded and over time it seems like the government has getting more and more powerful and the the, the government was created by individuals the people 
And it seems like we're taking a lot of those rights away from the people over, you know, the last couple hundred years. Okay. Um, let's either uh, disassociate or associate with, with this. Are you part of the Constitutional Sheriff's Peace Officer Association? So, yes, I am a member of the Constitutional Sheriff's and Peace Officer Association. But the caveat on that is, so there's that. Every People will see that and they'll be like, oh, my God, look at him. He's part of that group. It seems like a, a little bit extremist, chicken little, sky is falling type group where, you know, get a bomb shelter, invest in gold and get your family 25 years of dehydrated food. I'm not disagreeing with you. My... <laughs> My, so when I retired from the Navy, um, I, I wasn't a law enforcement officer in the civilian sector. Um, so what I needed to do was figure out, okay, I want to do the share thing. What is the best way for me to learn how to do the share thing? So you'll have like right now, there'll be a lot of like, I'm going to learn just by seeing what the current guy's doing. Well, that's not a good way to, to learn how to do something. Let's go back to the references on what, what is the sheriff? So when I got out of the Navy, I joined the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. I joined the American Bar Association, the National Sheriffs Association, the International Association of Crime Analysis, and the, um, the Crime Prevention Council. So I've joined all these different organizations and now I'm a member of the Washington, um, State Association of, uh, Sheriffs and Chief, uh, Police Chiefs. But I joined all these things to figure out what resources they have to tell me how to do the job of the sheriff. So by joining the CSPOA, got the access to like, okay, this is what the sheriff is based on this. This is what we're doing over here. So I, I'm not like, I don't know. I'm not at activities that are supporting them doing certain things. So I'm a member for the resources. But can't we follow without being a member? Like I, I can go there and see what they're doing without associating myself with those groups? Not necessarily, because a lot of the things, like the videos and things are available for only for members of the, the group itself. So to truly understand, you have to, you know, pay your, I think it was like 20 bucks a year or something like that to, to be a member, to have access to the resources. So for all these organizations, I've pretty much paid 20 to $25 to join these to get access to resources. So that that is me, and that is why I did it. All right, demystify this for me. Are you associated with an endorsement or anything from the Arizona sheriff, Joe Arpaio's? Yes, so I do have an endorsement from him. And then again, this is like, how did that come about? This so obviously, me, little old me, does not know Joe Arpaio, and so this is how the endorsement process works. And this is kind of interesting because I didn't know this before getting into politics. So the, the idea they tell you to do is, oh, you got to get as many endorsements from like famous people or, or people that are known. This way your name starts getting yeah, out there. He's known as a piece of shit. They're saying things like, hey, any press is good press. No. So, <laughs> well, no. some people say that. But anyhow, so get as many endorsements as you can of people, especially in the law enforcement community. And so it's writing letters, sending emails, uh, trying to make phone calls to be like, hey, I'm starting out on this. This is my vision. This is who I am. Request your endorsement. So 
now knowing this whole political thing, I don't think I even want to try for endorsements in the in the future because they're just too like to me. The only endorsements that matter are the people, not anybody that currently holds an office. So I have a different mindset that I have on endorsements from when I started running for office. Yeah, I'm no politician, but I would say dump that endorsement real quick. That guy is cost tax. Mi- Payers $100 million, has $44 million in civil lawsuits against him, pardoned by Trump for his lack of doing his job in a lot of ways and targeting things. Uh, you may have a different opinion of him, but I know what I know of him and having relatives in Arizona, and he's just not top of my list. Well, I, I would definitely not make inmates wear pink underwear and hang outside at, under a tent. That's That's not who I am, so... Yeah. <laughs> but like like you mentioned, you said dump the endorsement. So pretty early on, I took it off my website because I realized, you know, that's something I don't want to be associated with. But no. I did it. But I did it. And so I take ownership of, yes, I did it. And this is why I did it. And and I'm learning. Do you feel differently now? Do I feel differently? that About his endorsement and who he is. I pro- so I don't think I would have requested it to begin with, um, but it did get my it did get my name out there, so I can see how people you know whether it be positive or negative. There's an association. People are like you know searching, and then there's that link, and yeah. All right, last little one, and then we'll get on to more positive things. <laughs> <laughs> um, I first came across you with my family watching the Fourth of July parade, and. It was the first parade in three years due to COVID. I had also spent COVID having a rough personal time and going through Chop and Chaz to Swedish Hospital constantly to take my mom for medical procedures and and navigating all that stuff. And then we had a 24-hour stream of Chop and Chaz going for weeks and weeks. And it really gets the balls turning. Um, we also had election year where we're changing presidents and things that were forefront in my mind was immigration, children in cages, defunding police, um, climate change. And you came in with a big old truck in a kind of area that's trying to electrify and ride bicycles and walk and, and have a different transportation system. And, Kind of had that cowboy effect. You had kids in a jail cell. There was a big part of me that thought America was in the business of prison systems and um, manufacturing of weapons and guns and stuff. So I was a little turned off on that type of stuff. You got a huge blowback from the community here. Optically, it wasn't a good look for my first introduction to you. I've since met you now. I'm talking to you. I'm willing to listen to your explanation of that and um, was wondering if you knew your audience in that situation or you were thinking of something completely different. Oh, school's out, kids. Um, (laughs) Give me a little bit of feedback on that. Okay, so uh, with the Bainbridge Island 4th of July float, for for people that know me, they would understand me completely. I know I 
a lot of people don't understand why I did it, so I'm here to explain. So what happened with that is I am a storyteller, and so my whole life with my two kids or my three kids, we were we grew up doing when for trying to get them to learn something, we did skits at church. On Sunday, we were often did went up every month just to like tell stories by by acting to get people involved, whether it be laughing, smiling, or whatnot. So when we were doing the Bainbridge Island float design, I, I the previous I think week or two we did the one in Port Orchard, and so I had the same girl dressed as a deputy, the same boy dressed as an inmate, and it was really well perceived, and I was. Thinking, okay, so after that, I'm always one, like, I always got to top myself the next time I do something. Yeah. And so I was very into the details. So the storyline, and this is the kids uh, and their parents, they weren't my kids. This is something that they wanted to do, and they asked their parents, and I let them pick out the uniforms and everything, and we ordered them. But so what the story was is the little boy stole a car, and the girl— his sister was a deputy. And so with all the car thefts going on in Kitsap County, we wanted to make a point of there's going to be a change and that we're going to hold car thieves accountable. So they both, I made sure they both had mics. I bought this nice wireless system to put back there. And so they had microphones and they were telling a story as we were going through the uh, path of the parade. And so she was, uh, saying that there's a new sheriff in town and the little boy was telling the story on how he stole a car. And so what didn't work out well with that is at the last minute behind us, we were supposed to be the last float. The last minute behind us, there was a group that came in and they were screaming the entire time on the path of the float, which drowned out the story. It was all optical, no audio for me. Yeah. Okay. And so, but that's the thing. So the girl, there was a police car on the back. There was the the girl deputy. She was outside. And then the boy was inside jail and people were, he had great interactions with the crowd. Some, some kids were like, what are you in there for? And he's screaming, I stole the car. And, and afterwards, it was a mixed audience because afterwards there were several people that came up. Hey, can we take a picture um, with you over here? And so photos were snapped. People were thinking how cute. And then there's the other side where it was just assuming that going back to the, the kids in cages thing that you were talking about. Yeah. Did you get any, get the hell off the rock? No comments, nothing like that. It seemed like it was more the day after. Yeah. It was like, 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 yeah, I'm fine. Everything's going great the day of. And then the day after it just blew up and people are starting to call me, text me million TikToks, emails. And then, yeah, the TikTok thing. There you go. All, all press is good press. That's right. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, some of the things that you, you want to tackle as sheriff are um, getting funding for body camera. And this takes me back to one of my least favorite people, Chad Enright. Um, I think you've had a row with him. Oh, yeah. There, Chief Stonechild... Um, in my mind, and uh, I feel like he was allegedly killed by police. And the body cameras told me a lot, but they were also dysfunctional. One was turned off, one was knocked to the ground, and one was partially seeing the scenario. 
I still thought it was enough proof to charge the officers. Um, Chad Enright did not um, charge them. The civil suit went in favor of his um, partner later on. But I don't see any reason why every officer can't have some type of camera on on there. It it just spells any confrontation or mixed message or storytelling after the crime. You can see and hear the interaction of the officer and the suspect 100%. And it should be a legal tool for policemen. How do you feel about body cameras and how much funding does that realistically take? I mean, we all have some contraption, a GoPro or a telephone or something that can capture video. We're in a capturing video society. Um, why is it so hard to mandate body cameras? I think that muddled the question here, but go on with that. I do understand what you're asking. So I am 100% on board for body cameras, and I'm really shocked that they're not in place at Kitsap County Sheriff's Office. I'm surprised that the office is one of the last to get them. And uh, there needs to be an aggressive approach from whoever's in charge to get them. And yes, it takes a lot of funding. So I've been reviewing the 2023 budget and uh, they were talking about adding cam body cameras to there. So the number that they have was like 750,000 for the, the number of body cams and the equipment. And it would take two support officers. So overall, about a million um, for this. And so one of the things that they did was they're, they're going on the route that they're going to assume that there's going to be a levy next year on the ballot and that levy will go up, get approved. So on the video that I did a public records request for the budget uh, appropriations on September 26th. So I did a public request for that video. They literally selected no on that for both the two funding for the two support staff and the body cams. So I have, I have a feeling that unless someone steps up to get these, it's to put more pressure. It's not. And and that quote was from Axon. It's a company called Axon. So just out of curiosity, I contacted um, the number one leading body cam place in internationally. It's uh halo and they were very, uh, you know, very, they're like, Hey, let me send you some to test. This is what we're going to do. Prices will be cheaper. They have a lot. So there's different options. I feel like right now they're kind of like leaning one way with funding and being like, say, well, this is how much it costs from this company, but there's other companies. We shouldn't just stick to one, whether it be because that's the one that other ones that are locally are using or not. We need to be open about that and look to other places, but I'm a hundred percent for that for body cams. And that's just something that we need to have. Do you, do you happen to know how many officers in total are in Kitsap County? And secondly, do you know how many people or officers do have cameras versus don't? Uh, I don't have the number of how many they have between Polsbo, Bremerton, Bainbridge. Um, I've been only focusing on the body cams for Kitsap County, which I think we have a Slated for 140 uh, officers, and we're you know short, of course, for that. Okay, um, fentanyl. That's a hot topic with you and the homeless encampments. What are your ideas behind um, attacking that? 
Yeah, so fentanyl has been my my big kind of push on the the movement because so I've been going to the encampments and most of them now know me by name because I've been going just talking, sitting down, hey, tell me your story type thing because I believe it's big to get out in the community regardless of what community that is. And the woman that we met a woman uh a couple of days ago and she was kind of like, you know, in charge of the, the – there's kind of a network of the uh, different people that are unsheltered. And she kind of like took charge, and she's one that does not do drugs. She's out there because that's that's who she wants to be. And so she was saying that within one week, her tent would be full of those little blue blueies, those blue fentanyl pills. And so she's like, I want them out of there now because – when they take those pills, they're just acting completely different. They're going crazy. Mm. Um, and that was in the Silverdale one. I went in the Bremerton one off by, uh, uh, the Salvation Army and they were telling me, yeah, like at night people are just, they grabbed all their knives and they're just going crazy and just acting like not out of their mind. Yeah. Out of their mind. And so it's a big problem. And they're also having overdoses all the time. People, it's like the number one leading cause of death between 18 and like 45. Why are we even producing fentanyl anymore from a big pharma concept? I mean, it's like oxy all over again. Right. But so this one's coming in. So I sat in the fentanyl, the national fentanyl summit this month. This is the last day of the month. This month is crime prevention month. And they had a big forum, a big summit with the head of Homeland Security, DEA, and some of the other partners. And what they were talking about is how the chemicals that to make this fentanyl are coming from China. They're going to Mexico, and then they are manufacturing them with two cartels, and they're coming up, uh, and it's just running rampant. So Pierce County was telling me that those pills cost a dollar a piece. In Kitsap, they cost $5 a piece. So they're really expensive. A lot of people don't, don't know how cheap they are and how easy they are to get. And we've been... When I was same with heroin. Yeah, yeah. So we've been uh, sitting. I've partic- participated in a neighborhood watch, and we sat down watching the entrance to their community, and we saw multiple like drug deals go down. And why this isn't being enforced? It, it, it's just it's absurd. The they did shut down Westnet, the drug narc drug narcotic task force for Kitsap. Um, and they, uh, that was something that would catch these guys. And I know for a fact, there's 20 other ones in our state that have a uh, drug narcotic task force, but for Kitsap, we don't. And it is becoming a huge problem. Is that something you would like to bring back? I absolutely will bring back. So is that a funding issue of some sort or. So you need three law enforcement agencies to be a partner. So when uh, they shut it down, from what I'm told, they uh, asked, hey, do you guys want to keep this going? And they're like, no. And so they ended up just shutting it down. So, no, the the priority from the chief law enforcement officer of the county needs to focus, hey, because I guarantee everybody, like most of the citizens will be on my side for like, okay, we need to stop this drug from coming in. And so we need to stop the people trafficking it. So that whole Blake decision didn't affect drug trafficking. It was a simple, it was knowingly possessing drugs. That's all it was about. And so this, we need to attack it hard. So there, in 2022, Kitsap County Sheriff's Office was awarded the burn grant, which is, it was about $42,000. And so they awarded it, but Kitsap County declined to accept it. And so one of the things that's, 
there's a chance that I could get to the, get to it by the end of the year if I'm elected to, to accept that. But sure, that's not going to cover the cost of the entire thing. But getting each police department involved and being part of this and really pushing, putting pressure on the board of commissioners to add more funding for it is something we need. And everybody will say, well, funding is going to be a problem because there's no money to go there. Well, Kitsap County is actually at the bottom 20% of the state for funding law enforcement. So that means 80 other law, 80% of other uh, law enforcement agencies based on the size and number of police officers per people have better funding. And that's, that's just a fact that's out there. And to say that no, we're going to put our priority somewhere else. Well, right now, public safety should be the priority of the Board of Commissioners for funding. I did a short dive on grants and funding, and it seems like there's a lot of money going into grants, but they're going into these like little subcommittees and not really to the targeted audience that needs the money. It's like you have a resource group for whatever the problem is, but they have a staff of five or six and they all draw a salary and that will take a huge portion of the grant and it'll never get to the causation or, or the problem. How do we, how do we even fix this? And why is it always grant money as opposed to, Hey, we need fire, police, roads, tax people, you know, and that money should go schools too. Jeez. You know, the syntax of lottery, marijuana, alcohol, all that, it it doesn't go to the educational fund. It goes to a general fund, and then it right. can get pieced out to different sections. Like, if I give an organization $5 to combat fentanyl, how much of that $5 is actually making it to to the ground level of the person that is dealing fentanyl or has an addiction? That's a good question. I don't have that answer. but I, I don't it, think anybody does. Uh, yeah, but truthfully. it definitely seems like not much of it is. Not much. Yeah. That's what I gathered as well. Um, talk to me a little bit about this uh, homelessness deterrent um, crowd control grenade thing that's going on. I, I don't quite understand it, but it sounds absurd to me. Yeah, so this is where I probably have more left-leaning uh, policies for these things. So with this 40-millimeter uh, grenade launcher, the my opponent tried to buy, went to the mental health uh, tax committee the, and composed of civilians, um, non-government workers, where they're like, okay, let's approve what gets spent out of this money. And so he went there to try to get 12 of these non-lethal grenade launchers funded with that money to be put in uh, cars. And so immediately when when you, when I think about that, I think of like Ferguson and those photos of just lining up with all these things. And I did a little uh, quick research on that. And so I found that there out of 1,984 people, 15% have permanent damage to their body from getting shot by these. And 3% are killed by them. So those, those stats with this non-lethal weapon are causing, they're, they're pretty lethal to me. And so the argument that you'll hear is that, well, we need it to combat some of the mental health crises that are occurring. 
And I've always been, I have a lot of uh, uh, family, personal things going on with uh, other people that I know that uh, are, are dealing with mental health crises because it, it is an epidemic now. It is, it's very significant. And to say that we would even have that possibility where we're going to try to de-escalate the solution or de-escalate the situation by using that, it, it's kind of frightening to me. Now, obviously, if there is a situation, I think some of the chiefs of police across the nations are like, this is a last case resort for extremely out of control riot type things. It shouldn't be used as, you know, one of the quick options. And so to, to have that is, it's just shocking. I know people on the right will disagree with me and people on the left will too. But the, the thing is that I'm more about sitting down and just listening. And slowly getting, gaining trust, talking to people, understanding what they're going through and being slow to speak and quick to listen in different scenarios. So to me, the, the non-lethal option that becomes lethal in some situations doesn't seem like a, a good resort. Okay. I noticed that there was a sign on your float too. I don't mean to bring this back up. Well, maybe I do exactly. You really like that float, don't you? <laughs> Truthfully, no. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a flag of Blue Lives Matter. What does that mean to you? That means is that we are going to support law enforcement to me. That means that when we're, we're thinking about all these things going on, whether it be you know, whatever first responder, we need to also think about the things that are going through law enforcement. They're, right now, they're being criticized so much for, you know, a celebrated case. Sure, there's, there, you know, there's bad people in every major group, right? Not mm -hmm. everybody's going to be like angels. So to associate generically that, oh, police are bad because of, you know, one person over here, it just, we need to focus on law enforcement because someone was telling me, you know, they, there's a lot of like issues, mentally health, mental health issues going on and they need to be looked after because right now it's, they have a tough job and uh, I want to be the leader that can kind of provide that, you know, teamwork attitude where we're looking out for each other and helping each other get through situations. Okay. What do you think qualifies you most to be the next sheriff? The leadership skills that I've gained in the military. So I've uh, been part of an organization where the leadership style was shifted. Uh, David S. Marquette wrote this book called Turn the Ship Around, and it doesn't apply just to ships. But it's about leaders training people to be leaders, empowering them in the team. And what I mean by this is, let's say while I was officer of the deck, so I was in charge of the submarine, um, and certain things you have to get the permission of the commanding officer to do. The way they, they, they change that in those scenarios and in that book is instead of asking permission to do something, you tell him you are doing something and he has the opportunity to say no, but usually when you have all the responsibility, you're doing all the, the things yourself to make sure, you know, okay, I got to have all my ducks in a row. I got to make sure I'm doing it completely right, looking at all the negative consequences that could happen. And then you're then presenting it to the commanding officer, telling him that you're going to do it. This empowers teams to do things uh, and it provides more backup and uh, that's just something that I want to bring to the sheriff's office is just the, 
the deputies. I want them to feel empowered right now. There's a lot of, they feel like they really have no power to do anything. Well, I kind of want to shift that in this team mindset. A couple of quick questions before we wrap this up. Um, how do we incorporate, you know, there's a big push for defunding police and, and stuff, which is a, is a bad term in my mind. We need to have extra services added to the police. I want to know as, as a police officer that I have another officer has my back going into any situation. Also, would it would behoove me as a police officer to have a mental health uh, liaison that could identify maybe a manic bipolar situation versus a person on drugs. Because I don't necessarily know the difference between the two as a shopkeeper or a citizen, someone just walking down the street, what level of danger that person is in or that person has towards me. Um, How do we encourage more enrollment in a mass exodus of police officers that, hey, come join us, you know, forget the extra $10,000 stipend after 90 days of employment or whatever. That person is still in the situation where they're underfunded and undersupported. What type of things that can we kind of put in a, a collage of law enforcement? So I think to get more people uh, to be added to law enforcement, to want to do it, you really got to shift morale uh, to to make it so people feel like, oh, if I come to the Kitsap County Sheriff's Office, oh, I'm going to have this going on. Oh, I'll be able to do this. They're empowering me to do this. Everybody likes to hang out. Uh, families unite. The person in charge is talking about us and finding out what our problems are and getting that with all the other resources as well. So you mentioned like the, the crisis uh, thing. So my vision for the Sheriff's Office, because right now 40% of the budget goes to the corrections. So what I'd like to see is the jail system, the jail. Yep. So what I'd like to see is the model that San Antonio is using where they have a crisis intervention center and they have crisis officers where when someone is in some kind of crisis and they're going through things. An example would be there was this lady that was standing on a bridge. Uh, they showed the, the law enforcement showed up and she was ready just to end her life. She says, I'm highly addicted to this drug. My life's not worth anything. Well, these people, their names were Joe and Ernie. They sat down and they just listened. They talked and it took some time and they convinced the lady to go to the crisis management center. And from there, that's where you got these community resources going. So there's several partners in the community that want to help that just yeah. need direction on how they can most be, be used most effectively. So by, let's say I brought that, that person to the crisis intervention center and then the resources there help, uh, provide the outlet and whether it be. So it might not be incarceration. It might be, okay, we're going to help you out over here with this addiction problem or or no housing. Well, here we go right from there. So it's just a, a, it's like this big spider web network that needs to be developed. And a lot of people have asked, like, why are we trying to reinvent the wheel when they see something that they're trying to do? Because these nationwide, there's solutions everywhere for all the things that we're trying to do. We just need to look to them and not be afraid to ask, hey, how are you doing this? And what can I do to implement something similar? Good stuff. Um, Lastly, in some of your messaging, you criticize that you're going against a sheriff that was appointed and not elected. But from what I understand is if Somebody is in an election cycle of four years, right? For, Correct, yeah. If somebody retires, 
earlier than that four years, they pick the next sheriff. Um, I understand that that's a common place in, in most states if somebody leaves early. Is that correct? And why do you rail so hard against that? So uh, the I think it's the 32nd Amendment in our state constitution. It says basically if someone retires early, the uh, the party of that person gets to pick three people. Those three people names will go to the board of commissioners and then the board of commissioners will select from those group of people. And so it's the, the reason I against this is number one, the people aren't, aren't picking the sheriff who's supposed to be working for the people. And so I personally believe that there should be a special election in that type of situation. This way the people have input, not politicians, because like I said, it's got to be the same party. So when Gary Simpson retired, he was a Democrat. And so his undersheriff, he picked his undersheriff. However, the, the PCOs of the Kitsap County, they picked someone else. And then the board of commissioners went back to the original uh, person. And so now you have board of commissioners that are picking someone to be. So you're getting to the point of who does that person work for? Oh, the board of commissioners picked me. So maybe I owe them a favor or whatnot. So I feel like it needs to be completely detached and the people need to always pick their sheriff. Well, that's a good point. Good point. I guess I had one more question that it's not my question, but I have to answer it or ask it. Um, the Constitutional Sheriff's Peace Officers Association, I hate to bring this back up because I understand now that you, you've kind of – Right. Your it's reasoning okay. for being in that. Yeah. Um, there was something I read on their website that a sheriff's power – is ultimately supersedes the president's power in some type of, I don't know, martial law situation or something. Can you explain that to me? And do you believe in that? So, no, I believe the sheriff is responsible for the, the county. And so with the president being responsible for the ultimately the United States, if you talk about power itself, it definitely seems like the uh, president has more power. So where the, where they're probably talking about is let's say, and this is goes back to discretion. Like if there's something that's made, uh, that's, that, uh, is a law that the president would say, Hey, this is an executive order. Everybody need, goes, needs to seize everybody's guns and stockpile them into a warehouse and we'll burn them. If the president somehow did that, then the sheriff could be like, this is in Kitsap County. Nope. Sorry. That's not happening. Uh, I believe that I need to defend the, the Second Amendment rights of the people of my county, and so that will not happen in Kitsap County. So that's probably where those two connections are being made. Gotcha. Any last words for Podcastville? I just really like to thank you, and I just appreciate everybody listening. I hope you can get to understand me, and I'm always available for a phone call, 360-768-0911. It goes directly to me, and you can see more information about me at protectingandserving.com. All right. Rick Coos, up for Sheriff of Kitsap County. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. All right, people, get out there November 8th and vote. You've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind. Thank you. Sweet. Thank you.